0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for the INC, and welcome to our USC 250 preview show. It is a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in the northeast of Mm -hmm. England. My name is Carl Bainbridge, and I'm joined by the uh, Reeves to my Mortimer, the Yin to my Yang, the Ant to my Deck. It is Claire Richardson, you might know him better as Uncle Joey MMA. Claire, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Uh, Yeah, pleasure to be here. It's a wonderful sunny day, like you said yourself, same year. It's getting pretty warm around here, actually. Getting pretty normal around here as well, but yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Pretty much last time I've been here, like, Gaichi still didn't even beat Tony. So, yeah, (laughs) it's been a long time. We got a a lot to talk about.
0: And we we were still hoping for Tony versus Khabib at that point as well.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were still uh, thinking that it was going to be a real thing that would happen. I'm pretty sure like a day or two after that's when he went on Instagram Live and said that he was trapped in Russia or something. So, yeah, N- another bad timing for us.
0: <laughs> Although I do notice that you, uh, you still haven't got your camera fixed. We've had to replace you with a poster for the event.
1: Oh yeah, that's fine. It's actually a really decide. nice post,
0: you know. I think the the design team for the USC often get a lot of grief, but I've always been a big fan of the uh, painted faces, the whole uh, patriotic flag thing. It just reminds me a bit of a football match. So.
1: Oh yeah, I'm thinking if we tune up the graphics, it'll be better than just two plain webcams, in my opinion.
0: Well, that's what we always hope to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got to realise that there are going to be a lot of workarounds, given that... We are still working under a pandemic, we can't get ourselves a proper preview show, a proper team in place. So this is a compromising situation. I think that there's a lot of people who are in the same boat. Um, so any sort of feedback in regards to the actual graphics that we are using would be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to mm-hmm. support the show, then please do so on our Patreon page. It is patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. you can also follow us now on Twitter. We've entered the 21st century you can find us at twitter.com forward slash i n twitter.com forward slash i n with that being said we'll need to get on with the show itself and normally we use this opportunity to talk about some of the upcoming fights which have been booked uh, potential rumours which are in place some of the storylines that are going on in the world and there have been plenty however the first place I want to start is what happened uh, last night which was the first event which took place at the UFC Apex. Tyron Woodley took on Gilbert Burns. And the welterweight division has itself a new contender. What a performance that was from Gilbert.
1: Mm, I remember saying the whole the whole week leading up to this fight, a lot of people were, uh don't want to say Cownell Burns, don't really want to say that, but they weren't really looking deep into his record. He He's coming up pretty similar to the way that Woodley was coming up. You know, a very... Don't want to say a high-profile wrestler, but he's very powerful on the ground. And he came up, started to use his hands more, and uh, not really the same as Woodley. Didn't really shift like uh, divisions. Like Woodley was always a welterweight, but Burns is definitely coming up similar to how Woodley was, and got the job done. Gave him too much pressure. Very similar to Usman, but I feel like uh, Burns definitely put on way more pressure than Usman did. Usman held on a bit more to Woodley than uh, Burns did.
0: I think the thing that really stood out for me when it comes to Gilbert Burns in regards to this fight was how fearless he was. You can tell that this is a guy who has so much confidence in his abilities. Mm -hmm. And I think he always had those, had potential to be great. I I think the move to Welterweight definitely helped him. I think we're seeing Mm -hmm. a lot of guys right now who are realizing hey, we don't need to be cutting so much weight to get down to, say, 145, 155. If you do have yourself a smaller weight cut, you're more hydrated, you can carry yourself a little bit more muscle, and we're starting to see the benefit of that with Gilbert. I think, from Woodley's perspective, it's not a good performance. I think yesterday was the death knell for Tyron Woodley as a title challenger. I could potentially maybe see him still hanging around the sort of top five, top six place now, but... He's the guy you go through now to be getting the big fights rather than the big fight itself. And I think it's a shame as well because I mean, Tyron Woodley's title maybe might not have been the most explosive most entertaining, but he beat some hell of a good names on his run to the belt.
1: Yeah, he beat a lot of guys that uh, were clashing with him stylistically, I feel like. Uh, You know, a lot of people thought Wonder Boy would go in there and, you know, piece him apart with flashy karate kicks and stuff like that, but Woodley definitely turned the tides, and he had perfect game plans for his opponents. Like Damian Maya, like had absolutely nothing for him. And that's when Maya was on second win there. He was looking like an animal when he choked out Rick Story, and then he destroyed Damian Maya and made Damian Maya not even the same fighter anymore. He's not even the same guy. So yeah, Woodley was definitely he had the good IQ for a champion, just not a good personality for a champion.
0: I think from Gilbert's perspective as well, I think in some ways, I think him winning this fight would, was going to be a good benefit for the UFC because as good as Walter White is and as competitive as the title scene is, we've got a, quite a few sort of, dare I say, divas at the top. We've got. <laughs> we, I know it's a bit of a harsh term to use, but I mean you've got guys like Usman, Usman, Colby, Masvidal, Tyron was up there as well. You've got guys who are sort of meandering around the big fight, saying, well, I don't really want to fight him because he's not a good match stylistically. I will fight him, but I expect more money. So if you have Gilbert up there, who's just basically mm-hmm. a, hey, I'll fight anyone at any time, sort of a company man, the UFC are going to think to themselves, well, we don't really want to pay Masvidal like you hundred million dollars to fight Usman. Gilbert's going to do it for much less. I honestly believe Gilbert has a good chance of getting that next title fight if them two start pricing each other out.
1: Well yeah if it it keeps on stalling out I could see them doing something like that because that's that's sort of what happened with uh Colby versus Woodley I believe. Colby probably had some injury or something or he was definitely stalling out in their eyes. So they went ahead and did uh, Usman versus Woodley. Oh, yeah, they did it. I guess they did that. And then I guess they did it again with Usman versus Woodley. Is that what I'm thinking? Like the same thing happened, again. Yeah, so Yeah, as you said a lot of people are stalling out at the top of the vision. you know, you don't have those Cerrone's you don't have RDA when he was up there, he was fighting a lot. He was definitely he was getting the gears turning on welterweight again. So,
0: and then you have got yeah. Leon Edwards as well. Yeah, he's another so. guy to add into the mix.
1: Hmm. Yeah, but we don't know what's gonna happen with him. He's kind of trapped right now. I haven't heard anything coming from him. So, that's one of those guys that'll go silent for a while, and you won't really hear about him.
0: But what I've started hearing, which might be a good thing for Leon, is. We're starting to see a lot more fighters outside the U.S. who are getting booked for fights. And I know that that the U.S. government changed some of their policies in regards to who they consider necessary employees, and those include athletes. So we could could start seeing some of those international fighters, like Leon, starting to get fights booked. Uh, Because I know that uh, Alexander Volkov is going to be fighting Kurt blades in, I believe, two weeks' time.
1: And, if, okay. and
0: Volkov does most of his training over in Russia, so they must have some confidence yeah. that he's going to be able to get into the country.
1: Yeah, I don't think Putin's going to be signing like an exclusive order for Volkov. Like, <laughs> maybe if he's fighting Stipe, but uh, yeah, maybe they got private UFC jets or something. Maybe they're chartering out a whole fleet of jets for fighters or something at Central Airports or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I could see them maybe doing something along the lines of that or maybe maybe it's opening up the gates for fight Island fighters to come along and uh, fight there if that's still even happening though but it, it's
0: get, I think that's a we're going on
1: now. and on and on and nothing's really happening with that so <laughs> I think <laughs> by the know.
0: time the preparations have been put in place for Fight Island it's not going to be worthwhile unless it's a way to sort of bring back the ultimate fighter so we can sort of make it sort of like a an MMA survivor, survivor
1: hybrid. Man, you gotta, man, you gotta tweet Helwani or something. We gotta get the word out for that. That's, that'll be extremely interesting for a reboot. Colby versus all. tough, ho- uh, tough survivor at Fight Island. That's perfect.
0: I want Darren Till as a coach. If you're bringing back the Ultimate Fighter, <laughs> we have got to have Till as a coach. Till and Adesanya.
1: Yeah, they'll do one of those seasons. Well, I guess they could fight at the end of it. We'll have to see.
0: The one thing I'll say though is, the lockdown has shown me that if the UFC have their heads set on something, they will do it. Because Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, I think the show, I think the, uh, crowdless shows, given what the UFC have been working with, have been very, very good so far. The Apex one especially. I think that the production values were very good. I think that the company did a good good job trying to make it feel like an atmosphere with at the Apex. Certainly much more than the Jacksonville shows. And I think yeah, I... and I think the quality of the fights themselves last night were very good. I mean, even away from Gilbert Burns' performance. You look at what Chris Gutierrez did with all those leg kicks. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts with a good performance. Mackenzie Dern, leg lock submission.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mackenzie Dern, a return. That was her first win since she lost to uh, Reboss, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, first fight since Reboss.
1: So, yeah, great return fight for her. I remember she was saying something about the crowd might interfere with her. She said that she likes the crowd, but well, clearly not. It didn't really matter, but yeah, that's a main topic there that we can talk about, if the crowd really affects the uh, fighters, but I, I don't think it really does, really.
0: The one thing I think it does affect though, and obviously it's going to bring us on to talking about the pay-per-view itself, I like the Apex for free TV cards, but when you're mm-hmm. doing pay-per-views and you've got title fights, something just feels a little bit off.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that.
0: Which brings us quite nicely on to UFC 250, which will be taking place next Saturday, and um, So we need to talk about this card in a little bit more detail before we actually get into the bread and butter of it as well. And even though the UFC, we've given them a lot of praise for some of their uh, matchmaking over the past couple of days. The fact they've been able to do some pretty solid shows given what they've been working with. But that being said, I think when you have a limited roster to work with, you're going to find some shortcomings. And I think UFC 250 is, dare I say, an example of that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit short. I think it just needs maybe one more fight. I feel like maybe a heavyweight co-headliner would be perfect. Maybe Volkov in there against Blaze. Maybe if they bumped that to this, that was even possible to get him in here in time. But yeah, I think just one more fight into the co-main slot instead of Garbrandt versus a would have been nice.
0: I think we got ourselves uh, some good fights. Don't get me wrong. I just think Yeah, they're... I
1: still think they're good.
0: I think it's the star power of the main event. And obviously we'll be hmm. talking about the main event yeah. in a bit more detail, but I think... I mean, I run I polls on the YouTube channel asking people who they think is going to win each any of the title fights, main events that happen on any of the cards. And the most liked comment so far for this one was, who cares?
1: <laughs> That's funny. I like that. <laughs> and I,
0: just, I just sort of think to myself, if the... If sort of big super fan who's watching videos like this uh, going on internet polls on really minor YouTube channels are having issues getting invested in the main event, I struggle to think that the average Joe who sort of picks and chooses which fights to watch, he's going to feel the same way.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. This isn't a card that you could really tell somebody who says like, oh, who's fighting tonight? It's gonna be hard to explain. You're You're immediately gonna say, oh, Chick that knocked out uh Rhonda and Cyborg and they'll be like, uh who else? <laughs> you'll have to explain Cody versus Cruz and try to ignore the fact that he's going on a skid recently. You'll have to explain the whole Bantamweight division. And then that's kinda really it other than Sean O'Malley. So yeah, it's kind of a not really a casual friendly card. It's
0: a Pewist card.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I can only really think of two big reasons why the UFC have gone ahead with this as a pay-per-view. Number one, there's rumours that the UFC have a contract with ESPN that they have to put out a certain number of uh, pay-per-views over the course of the year. So maybe this is just one to just sort of burn off that side of the contract. But also as well, a lot of people didn't expect Ferguson versus Gagey to do good numbers. And whether that was because... They sort of got the Conor and Khabib robe, or because there was sort of like a COVID bounce where people were willing to pay the money to watch any kind of sport. But that card did very, very good numbers, something like 700,000 buys. So maybe you want to see an opening, that we can have a similar situation.
1: Yeah, maybe they're trying to test the waters again. They're trying to do another pay-per-view quick. It seems really quick. Like, Let me see here. What was... was 249 oh like little over a month ago they're trying to get it over again they're trying to test the waters one more time to see if it works but yeah I definitely could see them trying that but I do think it's part of the contractual agreement but I don't know there is both cons and pros for each side of that you could look at
0: I mean if it was me I would have done this as a fight night I think this is a good fight night card Oh yeah. if I was American I wouldn't pay the money for it and that's just me being honest
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah. I don't blame you I'm not telling you to pay your money if, or not I, n- I never say that on this show I never tell people <laughs> to pay or not that's ne- I've never said that that's pretty funny actually I should probably say that more often but, <laughs> yeah this one I, I wouldn't buy this one but if it was a fight night that seems pretty good if it was like a fight night in Florida or something with a live audience I think that would be a really good idea but Nunes will get pissed if they did that I don't see her agreeing to that. Which is going to
0: be fun because we're going to be spending the next hour or so actually talking about this card and the first place, we're going to be starting off with are the prelim fights we've got them up on our graphic there so our very professional graphics team uh, (laughs) which is myself who has no life whatsoever so, we've got the ESPN prelims on our card there. We've also got the stuff on Fight Pass. And the first thing that really stands out for me in regards to the whole card, very bantamweight heavy. Which, considering yeah. Henry Cejudo's retired, that division needs to start sorting itself out. I think it's a good thing from that perspective. But also, the bantamweight division has been absolutely knocking it out the park recently. So, it's good to see those guys being showcased a bit.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh... Pretty interesting card. It's pretty funny how the card opens up with the heaviest fight on the entire card, just at light heavyweight. So, yeah, it seems like maybe they shipped out all the lower weight classes, and they wanted to. Maybe they realized they had a uh, the perfect lower weight class card, and they just decided to put it together. Really, because I remember they had garbrand versus a Sunset on another card, and I think they had other fights on other cards. So. I think they just noticed if they put them all together, they had a nice little showcase of the future of the Bantamweights. I, I don't blame them, it's a good idea. I definitely think it was a good idea to bring Garbrand versus Sal here. I didn't like the idea of that uh, potentially headlining or, uh, like a fight night, I didn't like that.
0: Um, the guy that stands out for me on the prelims though is actually one of the featherweights and that's Chase Hooper. Uh, obviously oh, yeah. made a big impact at USC two, uh, 245, which was his USC debut. A very promising kid. Um, I was impressed with his uh, performance uh, a couple of months ago. Fighting Alex Caceres, who's always going to be one of those sort of gatekeeper types. I mean, if you want to prove your USC level, you have to go through him. Um, and I've noticed as well, we've got Chase Hooper and Sean O'Malley on this card. So Ben Askren's kids are really knocking out the park right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I noticed that actually. All throw card. And they got Caseras on there too. He's the got a good ass well. as well. Yeah. So there we go, the throw card. Throw I'm surprised card Angela Hill's summer. not
0: knocking at the door trying to get on it either.
1: <laughs> that would be perfect. They would have the quadruple.
0: Um other guys I'm interested by, I think Cordy Steaman. Um he also had a little bit of momentum that sort of got halted recently with the draw against Sonya Dong and also the loss mm-hmm. to Aljamain Sterling fighting Brian Killehurst, so quick turnaround for Brian. Got himself a good knockout on the Jacksonville card. Um, Other names which I think are quite interesting for most people, Ian Heinish, I think he gets a drop down in quality. I think he was somebody who was sort of being pushed a bit too hard for his own good. So I think giving him someone like Gerald Mershard is a a nice step back in pace.
1: Yeah, they definitely pushed uh, Ian way too fast definitely they're trying to push him way too fast they should have built him up a little bit more but uh yeah i see brian Kelleher making a quick turnaround i thought we were going to see that a lot more often on these cards uh, guys getting quick knockouts and doing quick turnarounds like i think kevin holland was going to be on this card or one of the earlier cards and he was like about to do it but then he had an injury so they had to rebook him obviously but yeah i'm surprised we're not seeing that more often
0: and I think for Kelleher's perspective, it's it's a just reward as well because he's had mm-hmm. two fights so far this year. He's two and all, um, both first round finishes, and he's that sort of yeah. ga- he's that sort of game guy that the UFC go to. Uh, if you do need to fill out a card, I find it very entertaining.
1: Yeah, and it's a great matchup. Cody Stallman, tough guy, always there to fight. Be perfect matchup for him. It's really a win win in my book. You know. Anybody who takes a fight on this short notice, I don't really consider it that heavy of a loss if they get knocked out quickly or anything. So yeah, I consider it a win-win if I was in their shoes as well.
0: And it's going to put you in good regard with the UFC. Because if you're a company man who's willing to take these short notice fights, Mm -hmm. you're going to get those rewards later down the road. I mean, you could argue that Angela Hill getting that fight with Claudia was down to the fact that she was willing to fight anybody at any time.
1: Oh yeah, I think Cerrone said that he wanted to fight like on uh, Overeem Harris and uh, the Smith versus Texera card. So, <laughs> but they didn't let that out, and I think he might be out for a bit because he might have some injuries from that Pettis fight. So, yeah, I'm surprised we didn't see him come back.
0: <laughs> Is there anything else on the card that stands out for you?
1: Uh, not really. I like how it's a complete bantamweight showcase, but I'm uh, surprised to see Eddie Wineland back. That's, that's surprising. I'm surprised he's still in the UFC.
0: One of those durable veterans. I mean, it, you get guys like that. You get guys like like Jim Miller's another one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not washed, but he's certainly not the fighter that he was, saying in his prime, but he can still put on good shows. He can still be a real test for the youngsters coming through, and Obviously when we get to that fight we'll discuss that in a lot more detail. The fight we are going to be talking about though is our card opener and we're going up to the welterweight division and speaking of quick turnarounds, Neil Magny is back in action. He's going to be taking on Anthony Rocco Martin. We've got the betting odds for this one, you can get these from Bovada. Neil Magny is a minus 150 favorite. you can get Rocco Martin at plus 120. And I think the big story from this one revolves around Neil Magny because a lot of people, and I include myself in this, thought he's had a long layoff and he's going up against a guy in Li Jingliang who has got a fantastic uniform going. How is he going to handle being back in the octagon? The answer 100% brilliantly.
1: Yeah, a lot of people thought that that would be a quick knockout for Li Jingliang. I remember it was on the pay-per-view. A lot of people thought it would be a quick turnaround fight, but uh, Magni definitely put a lot of people in shame in that fight, definitely pissed off a lot of
0: bookie makers in
1: that fight, so maybe made some people rich, some of Magni's friends, so definitely wish I bet on that fight, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does against Rocco Martin, definitely.
0: So then you can make the argument that the performance against the Leech was so good, should Neil Magni be getting someone... A little bit higher up the card should he get get maybe like a top 15 mm-hmm. top 14 guy
1: mm-hmm yeah this could really bite him in the ass if he doesn't perform well enough a lot of people could think that he's back down to that level and that Ponzinibbio fight really they a lot of people trash talk him after that fight a lot of people thought that he was washed after that that rough loss but that's what Ponzinibbio looked like a monster he looked like Sort of a welterweight coaster. That's what I like to think of on as. But I think he had like an infection or something, and he was out for like a whole year. That's why he was gone. But I think I think he's coming back, legit, pretty soon. But yeah, if Magny doesn't perform well enough, this could definitely be a bad situation for him. But we'll have to see.
0: And we'll talk about Neil Magny in a bit more detail. We've got a 22 and 7 record. Obviously, he got the win last time out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the first thing that really stands out when it comes to Neil Magny, how long this guy is for a welterweight. His reach advantage is oh, yeah. amazing.
1: Oh yeah, he had very very long arms. Like I remember in the the Condit fight, it was very apparent that he had long arms in that fight, and even in the uh, RDA fight a little bit before he got submitted, obviously. But yeah, he's got a he's got a great reach. Definitely, definitely long arms for a welterweight.
0: And yet, I think his biggest strength is actually when he's up close. His grappling mm-hmm. prowess is very good. And I think especially the body lock takedowns. I'd say mm-hmm. his biggest win in his career was against Kelvin Gastelum. And mm-hmm. the way he won that fight was just brutalizing Kelvin in the clinch. And Kelvin just could not deal with that. So I'm expecting Magny to employ a similar strategy. I think in terms of his striking, I think he is... He's made a lot of improvements in that regard, he knows how to use his reach, which sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of taller fighters sometimes don't know how to do, um, and he's also incredibly fit. The thing that stood out for me was that Leach, by the middle of the third round, looked absolutely knackered, and Magny was continuing yeah. to put on the pace.
1: Yeah, yeah, great conditioning in that fight, never looked tired.
0: If you had to pick out a weakness though from Neil Magny, what would you say are his sort of 40s? What did Ponzinibbio and RDA, for example, utilize so well that got them the win against him?
1: Probably constant pressure, if you just constantly pressure him, like uh, Ponzinibbio, he just constantly stalked him down in that fight, just constantly threw shots to the body and to the head, very, as I said, very similar to Costa when he fought, um, who was that, who did he fight, was that Uriah Hall, Uriah Hall. pretty similar yeah it was very similar to that fight. it went on pretty longer because I'm pretty sure the Magny versus Po fight that didn't end until like the fourth round, like that went on for a while, so yeah definitely pressure is his weakness if you get a guy with heavy hands like that
0: and I think as well when you've got a guy who likes to stay on the outside, likes to keep his distance mm-hmm. and throw a lot of push kicks in the way the magni does, the best way to neutralize that is. By swarming them, just not giving them the mm-hmm. opportunity to do so. And I think what's going to be interesting in this one as well is I don't think the Magni for a wrestler has the best wrestling defense. He does get taken down mm-hmm. quite a lot, and although he does have a good submission game, so maybe he isn't really as focused on staying off the ground as what most people do, I do find that quite interesting that he maybe he. For a wrestler, he doesn't have the best takedown defense. I know I just repeated myself there, but sometimes <laughs> this happens when you are put on the spot a bit.
1: No, I, I see what you mean though, because in uh, when he fought Johnny Hendricks, like that whole fight, he was pretty much on the ground with Hendricks. Like it pretty much looked like a like a Maya sort of fight. Like he was just on the ground with Hendricks the whole time. So yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how his takedown defense can be pretty thin sometimes. It's not really the best. Especially in that RDA fight, like, he just easily swept in and submitted him.
0: It was, it was a quite a controversial decision that Hendricks won. I remember the crowd not being too mm-hmm. happy when they gave it to Magni.
1: Yeah, I remember my brother, I was watching that, like, it was, that must have been the New Year's card. That must have been, yeah, the 30th. So, I remember we thought <laughs> Johnny Hendrix should have won that. And that was, that was before Johnny Hendrix sort of went on that, that massive skid. Like, I think that was his sort of last sort of sparkling hope to really hold himself up with the top welterweights. But that sort of disappeared pretty quickly. Now he's gone.
0: And it's such a shame as well because people forget how good Prime Hendrix was.
1: Oh, yeah. You watch that uh, John Fitch fight. You watch the, the Lawler fights are really good. I think those fights are... Sometimes more entertaining than the uh McDonald fight. A lot of people always bring up the Roy McDonald and uh uh Robbie Lawler. Lawler fight. But that one's a little bit I think it's a little bit overhyped. Like you go back and watch it, the audience was booing in the early rounds. You can hear that they were booing that fight. So but I remember the uh Lawler versus Hendrick fights. Those are those are great fights. Great little uh, duology of fights there.
0: Getting back on tangent, when it comes to this fight though, we've obviously discussed Neil Magny mm-hmm. in a lot of detail. We need to talk about his opponent because Rocco Martin is no slouch either. I mean We've got a guy who's been on good run of form. He's won five of his past six. His only loss was against Damian Meyer. And I think it's been... Obviously we talked about Gilbert Burns and his transformation since moving to Welterweight. Rocco Martin isn't... Obviously, at that level yet, but I do find it interesting that for a long time he'd fought in the UFC, he was Tony Martin, he was just sort of this generic prelim fighter, okay, skills, especially good on the ground, and then he moves up the welterweight, weight, grows out the sideburns, starts calling himself Rockwell, and all of a sudden we've got one of these sort of really entertaining guys outside the top 15 that sort of wealth weight's known for recently.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you look at that uh, Flair and Matthews fight, and he looks like an animal in that fight. Another guy that comes up to welterweight and having great success. You're seeing that a lot lately. Welterweight has it's... so
0: many enjoyable fighters outside the top mm-hmm. 15. I
1: mean,
0: we've got Rocco in there, uh, Nicole Price, Vincent Luque, Randy Brown, Mike Perry. It's a murderous role, that division.
1: Yeah, it's a... Uh completely stacked really you can always have a good fight in welterweight
0: I think when we look at Rocco Martin's record as well first thing that stands out for you 9 out of the 10 stoppage wins are by submissions so we mm-hmm. know if this fight's going to go to the ground we know he's going to be a threat
1: mm-hmm. definitely like you look at that fight with uh, Matthews uh, at submission it's beautiful it was so slick
0: and it's the diversity in these submissions as well. It's rear naked chokes, it's anacondas, it's triangles off his back. Mm-hmm. He's not a one trick pony.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be pretty interesting to see, honestly. That's, that's an interesting fight. Glad we talked about that more. A lot of people aren't looking at that fight, really.
0: I think it could be a very intriguing fight. I think a lot of people are sort of selling this one as another step towards Magni's trip back into the top 10. <laughs> But I think yeah. I think Rocco has a lot of a lot of skills to cause him problems. And I think especially now he's started rounding out his striking game, he got that first KO in his career when he beat Ryan Leflair, which I thought was a fantastic performance. Um oh, yeah. Intriguing though, we talk about Magny not being the best wrestler. I don't think Rocco's the best at takedowns. Twenty-six percent success rate when it comes to trying to take people down. So he's one of those people who find success when guys need to take him down for him to work his forte rather than mm-hmm. him being on the prerogative and trying to make it happen for himself in terms of submissions mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah definitely
0: so personally I'm I'm expecting Magny to dictate a lot of the pace in this one obviously he's got the cardio he's got the form as well going into this obviously with the big win up against Leech. Um I think the case is, what's Rocco going to do when he tries to deal with the pressure of Magni?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll we'll have to see that, I'll yeah. we'll have to see that. Do you think um, Magni would be that type of fighter to go and fight in Bellator? The uh, opportunity ever had to happen, like, do you think it would be something like he'd uh, leave like maybe after this fight if he lost? or? Like a Roy McDonald type situation, if he immediately just turns around and just joins Bellator? Or do you think it'll be if he goes on a skid?
0: I think Magny would leave for Bellator. I could see him in Bellator.
1: But I could only see him him doing
0: that if he doesn't believe that he'll ever be a UFC champion. And I think he's still got the fire in it.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Your predictions for this one?
1: I'm gonna go with uh, Rocco Martin on this one. I think he gets it done.
0: What would you say? Submission, decision?
1: I'm gonna say decision. I'm gonna say decision. I don't think Magny gets finished unless it's like like an RDA, a hungry RDA, or somebody that's a really uh, elite level that would be fighting for a title.
0: I don't think. I think Rocco has a lot of good skills, but I don't think he has the swarming style to beat Magni in the way that the Ponzinibbio has. So I think that Magni controls the pace of the fight. I think that Rocco tries to keep up with him for a good portion, but we start to see that cardio of Magni take control. I see him winning decision, either 30-27 or 29-28 with the first round going to Rocco.
1: Okay. You gonna put money down on that?
0: I only bet when it's a massive underdog in the main event that has a path to victory.
1: So you're doing that for this, this main event?
0: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'll just put it that
1: way. All right. All right. We'll have to see.
0: And I'm very impressed as well. We got through a whole conversation about Rocco Martin without talking about Kayla Harrison.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: Yeah. I think. I think Twitter... And Instagram know exactly what we're talking about there.
1: I don't. I don't even know.
0: (laughs) Google it. While you Google it, I'm going to start talking about the second fight on our card. We are going to the first main card fight for the bantamweight division, and we've got a real veteran versus prospect matchup. Eddie Wineland is taking on Sean O'Malley. Sean, Sean O'Malley, of course, with all of the hype behind him. A lot of people saying he could potentially be. Dare I say the bantamweight Conor McGregor, that's the way the hype has been around this guy. And he's taken on a guy in Eddie Wineland, who I was amazed when I saw the start. This is Eddie Wineland's first pay per view appearance since UFC 165.
1: Is that when he fought uh, Barral, That was
0: the Borough title fight. Coleman to Jones, Gus 1.
1: Okay, yeah, I, re- I remember that fight just because the brutal finish. That was when Borough was in top form. That's when he was an animal.
0: I always show new fans to the sport uh, that fight. Because I. Oh, yeah. the one thing that really upsets me, you know, and obviously we're in a sport where recency bias is uh, rampant. But when you have a guy like a Henan Barrow or a BJ Penn or a Johnny Hendricks, who maybe is seen a bit mockingly these days, I always show them fighting in their prime. And they always say, this is how good this guy was. This is why people... Loved him so much. I mean, especially BJ Penn, who I still mm-hmm. consider one of the best lightweights of all time. I mean, I showed them the Diego Sanchez fight and how good BJ was in that one.
1: Oh yeah, that uh, that BJ fight with uh, Sanchez is incredible. A lot of people don't bring that fight up. I, I like that one a bit more than uh, Sanchez versus Melendez, in my opinion. I, I just think that one's just insane. <laughs>
0: I love that fight. I love Sanchez vs. Mm-hmm yep. That's a good one.
1: That's it is. a good one. Though.
0: Can we expect a good one from Eddie Weinberg, though? Obviously, veteran of the sport. Maybe hasn't been in the, in the best of form recently. He's 4-4 uh, four and four since the Burrow fight. But a lot of people were writing him off when he fought uh, Gregory Popov, a UFC mm-hmm. 238. And he put on a masterclass in that fight. That was a proper, hey, welcome to the UFC. You're not good enough yet.
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely a good turnaround, but uh, he barely fights. Like, he fights like once a year, basically.
0: Do you think that's maybe a good thing, though, when you get to someone who's maybe been around a bit longer than what most people have?
1: Yeah, really, if, you, if you're if you in a comfortable situation where you can do something like that, where you don't have to pull the Cerrone's, where you're constantly fighting, or you got to pull in those work hours just to do every three months' fights, I guess... Go ahead, more power to you. Like, <laughs> you might as well, if you're in that type of age and you're in that stage in your career, you might as well. The big but could ins- you see that? Wait, wait, could you see that happening with uh, someone like Overeem? Could you see him doing something like that?
0: Well, Overeem's such a fascinating situation, you know, because you think at 39 years old, this guy and and to be knocked out so many times, this guy should be. A mess, yeah. yeah, he still seems to have everything together, he still seems to be constantly evolving, and you could be having a situation where say book him in a rematch against j d s if he gets through that one, you're talking about him potentially in a number one contender match at forty years old,
1: yeah really if he uh if he maybe does pull the y card and he sits out and he waits for mm-hmm. you know that j d s fight. Maybe that, that Derek Lewis fight, something along the lines of that, you could maybe pull across a win and then be in that top, that top spot. So yeah, maybe, maybe this is the time to pull Weinland in his career.
0: <laughs> what would you say are Eddie Weinland's biggest strengths as a fighter? Because I mean, there's going to be a lot of new fans that don't, oh man, <laughs> don't recognize him, maybe as much as what, like old school fools like us do.
1: Man, I, I I don't even know that much about him. That's a that's a question for you to answer. <laughs> well, I think the big thing
0: know. that stands out for me is is striking. He's always been okay. a crisp striker, especially when it comes to close range. So when it comes to dirty boxing and throwing these hooks, I think there's especially in the bantamweight early years, there was no one better at doing that. And he was always known as powerful Good. for the division. I wouldn't say he was like a full-on knockout artist, but he could give people a lot of trouble. He was sort of a bit like a bit of a Jeremy Stephens type.
1: Okay. Alright.
0: Sometimes these combos can be a bit unpredictable. A uh, b- bit predictable, I should say. Um, but a good counter-striker, great uppercuts, good hooks. And I think as well, for somebody of his age, he's only ever had two knockouts. A long career, he's only ever been knocked out twice. And one of those was the Brown knockout, which is one of the best in UFC history.
1: Yeah, that wasn't really like uh like a. I don't think he was like knocked out completely cold, and that that was like a spinning back kick. Wasn't that to the body? Or yeah. Was that to the head? Yeah, that was to the body. Like anybody's gonna go down from that. So that was just his liver just completely shutting down. So I, I don't know. Maybe he's only been. What was the other one? Was uh, Johnny Eduardo. From...
0: And I think, I think in all fairness to Johnny, I think most people look at that and think it was the perfect punch.
1: Okay, let me look it up and see if I can find a clip. (laughs) Got two monitors.
0: But you do that. You were telling me about that second monitor, actually. Um, Check out you splashing out your old birthday money.
1: Oh yeah, that does look. That does look like a little bit of a lucky punch there. And then a lot of people think. uh, When I think of a lucky punch, I think of uh, RDA versus Eddie. I think that's a little bit of a lucky punch.
0: Do you think there's any look when
1: it comes to Sean O'Malley? I don't think so. I think his, uh, his style is just perfect for his body type, and he's just in the right place at the right time. And he's uh, a tough puzzle to solve. A lot of people go in there and they don't realize how fast he is until they're in front of him and they try and get a game plan going, and he just starts off way too quickly for them to assemble proper game plan to beat him. So I think he's a amazing fighter been on the hype train for a while even when he was on that suspension i was still watching well not like watching him fight i was watching him play like Fortnite and stuff a couple times but that's that's about that's about all i could do when he was on suspension but yeah i think he's a great fighter that snoop cast episode that he was on that's like one of the best <laughs> mma clips ever you show that to any casual and don't, don't want to watch him I see Snoop Dogg flipping out to that (laughs) I
0: think that casual appeal is a big part of the reason why the UFC is so hyped on it because the one thing that the UFC has always struggled with is marketing their fighters Mm. and I think they need to rely on either a rub of the green, or they need somebody who's willing to make that promotion happen themselves and I think Sean O'Malley is somebody who has done that I am a little bit wary when it comes to fighters who get too much of a push by the UFC, and I think mm-hmm. how much of this is skill, and how much of this is the media machine telling us he's good.
1: Yeah, like you see that all the time with the women, like they always do that with women all the time. It's messed up to say, but that was all the time with, uh, I remember Michelle Watterson, she got a huge push after the, uh, which fight was that, Paige it was Van, Zandt. Van Zandt. Yeah, after that, there was a huge push for her. I remember seeing articles saying that they were going to do a huge push for her, and they had, like, Sports Illustrated ready, and then she lost. lost And she did all that without all the heat. So uh, pretty backfired on them. The same thing happened with Paige Van Zandt, I guess.
0: And then you can maybe argue that Michelle got it again when she fought
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she keeps on getting it. (laughs) That's what good looks get, you. Yeah, it's tough to say, but then you get... uh, fighters like Rachel Osevich, you just don't really move anywhere, you know. That being
0: said, though, we talk about the media hype, we talk about the UFC's sort of promotional push on Sean O'Malley. This one's worthwhile and Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to really sort of buy into it. But I think the performance he had against Jose Quinoñez, considering he'd been out for so long, it was flawless.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the best return that you could pretty much make up unless you do a Jorge Macedon in five seconds or something like that. Like, that's pretty much picture perfect the way that he came back. That's pretty much the exact same style that he did, except he definitely tweaked his game up a lot more. You could see that he was throwing a lot more crisper punches. He wasn't going as crazy as he did in uh, in his previous fights. So he's definitely changed. He hasn't stuck to the same old game plan. So, yeah, interesting to see that he wasn't playing Fortnite the whole time.
0: I think maybe in some ways that two-year layoff was actually a good thing for him because at 23 years old, you're still still maturing. You still haven't really found out what your entire body can do. So I think taking Mm -hmm. those two years to just refine yourself, become more physically imposing, I think helps someone like Sean O'Malley because he was a little bit careless in his early fights, and that mainly mm-hmm. really cost him when he fought um, Andre Sukmantar.
1: Yeah, like right now, you should pretty much uh, say like uh, 10 and 1 next to his name. Like, that's pretty much Sukhmanthar. That's uh, pretty much worst IQ in the octagon. Like, that's a video right there. Like, you can make.
0: Are you like, putting one of
1: your, uh, your latest videos there? No, that's like somebody, <laughs> MMA on point, could do something like that. That's, that's a perfect idea. But... That's a... That's a pretty bad mistake from Sukumtao there. But, yeah, he should pretty much have a record saying 10-1 and one right now.
0: The thing that stands out for me for Sean O'Malley, I think it's how quickly he's taken to the sport. Because this guy hadn't fought in karate. He never had any sort of karate background. Yet, his movement and his footwork and the way that he, like, uh, latches together in the, these combos... It's so impressive given he's only done it for sort of like, what, four or five years at most.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Something about him makes me think he was a... Uh, he fought in high school or something. He's got like a fighting high school record or something. He's got that style about him where he, maybe he's a street brawler or something. I don't know. <laughs> something about him. It looks like he's got some organic fight roots there.
0: <laughs> I think... If there are some weaknesses when it comes to Sean O'Malley, and a lot of this stems from the fact that he has been so dominant early on in his run, I still still have concerns over how he's going to handle sort of the non-striking sides of the sport. How good is his Mm. submission game? I know Mm. he's been doing a lot for um, uh, submission underground and competing in a couple of uh, quintet events. So he has been working on that. But what happens if he's going to be fighting a wrestler or a jiu-jitsu guy?
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see if he runs into somebody like that. I could see somebody like um, maybe in a sun cell, being like somebody, uh, sort of an all arounder that could take it to the ground and to the feet and sort of stuff out each. If he gets him to the ground and maybe drags him down and exhausts him, I could see that maybe happening. But yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to think of somebody in the bantamweight division that could do something like that. Like I could see Sterling doing something like that. Would you give him Sterling after beating Weinland? That's a big jump. Yeah, I wasn't thinking immediately after they beat Wyneland, but I I can see someone like Sterling beating him. But we'll have to see what's going to happen. Weinland could come out and be an animal this time around, just like he did last time.
0: I don't know why I can see him fighting Rob Font.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a good matchup. That would be a
0: hell of a matchup.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We're talking... Mm -hmm. We're sort of maybe getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Sean O'Malley is the big favourite for this one, the betting odds for this one, uh, again from Bovada. Uh, thank you very much for the plug there. You can get Sean O'Malley at a minus 400, Eddie Wineland is plus 300. So a lot of the bookmakers are favouring O'Malley quite quite big on this one. But Eddie Winland is a durable veteran. He knows exactly, he's seen plenty of Sean O'Malley's coming up through the ranks over the years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The question is, is he going to be smart enough to try and exploit a game plan which is going to make awareness of those weaknesses that O'Malley has? Does he have it in him to potentially out-wrestle him, Try and test him on the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe he is that all-arounder around that I'm thinking about.
0: <laughs> I don't think Wineland has that in him. I think it's going to be primarily a striking match. And I can see Sean O'Malley's speech as being a bit too much for windland. I think it's gonna to be tough enough to get to the distance. But I'm gonna say a safe. Okay. I'm gonna say a safe 3027 for Sean O'Malley.
1: Alright. We'll have to see. I'm picking O'Malley in that.
0: But I just want to remind people, people said exactly the same thing when Roxanne Modiferi fought Macy Barber.
1: No, I didn't say that. I said Mondaferi in that. Uh, remember that? Now everybody that
0: says Mondaferi. <laughs>
1: no we got that on videotape okay <laughs> we got that on the internet yes we do we got think proof. that was the
0: first one we ever did
1: yeah I think that's probably the first pick I've ever gotten right either <laughs> so.
0: so we're both going for Sean O'Malley on this one uh, the first of three bantamweight cards, on, bantamweight fights I should say on the main card we're going to the second of those and in my opinion If there's one fight on the main card, which I'm looking forward to more than any of them, it's this one. Corby Sandhagen, Mm -hmm. who is number four seed, is taking on number two seed Aljamain Sterling. Potentially a number one contender match for the Bantamweight title. All the reports seem to be that it's going to be Jose Aldo taking on Piotr Jan. Which, I don't know about (laughs) you, I don't agree with that fight.
1: Man, you should I hear that. I think it's so funny because it's just it's just so disrespectful, man. If they're treating Marlon Mariah like some some just forgotten kid in a relationship or something. Like they're just forgetting that he has like an official win overall, though. Like, if I don't remember that fight, like after it after it ended, I don't remember that being like a massive robbery or anything. Like. I remember it, it could have went either way really in my opinion. Like I I don't remember it being like a huge controversy, like maybe Reyes versus Jones, so I just think it's ridiculous that we're still talking about this.
0: <laughs> I think the controversy was over exaggerated, but I did score for Aldo.
1: Yeah, yeah. You could see it for really either way, but like I don't know. I just didn't think it was as big of a deal as something like Hendrix versus um, GSP or Reyes versus Jones I just didn't think it was that big of a deal really just run it back. Right.
0: I struggled <laughs> to get my head around what the UFC uh, are planning for the division because yeah. a lot of people have been saying for a long time the Bantamweight division is the sort of dark horse because you look at the mm-hmm. guys which have been coming through Sterling and Sandhagen Marias, Piotti-Yan, we've got some real talented guys finally making it into the top five but for whatever reason the UFC seem reluctant to give these guys a showcase spot and instead they're pulling out guys like Aldo and Dominic Cruz who legends as they are um are also guys who are maybe well past the past their prime
1: yeah like really uh these aren't the guys that they should be pulling at if anything, they should be pulling at uh, the other organizations. You know, they should be pulling at the ones and the Rizons. Like and you look at them; their whole pretty much federation is just a bantamweight showcase. Like you look over there; like all their best fighters are bantamweights, and they're signing them. So Hobabuchi, that's where they need to.
0: Cape Asakawa.
1: Yeah, like that's where they need to be pulling bantamweights from and putting them in these spots not pulling Aldo and Cruz and bringing them up to try and make these fights
0: I could understand it from the UFC's perspective if these new guys coming through were sort of like John Fitch, Lane Prey sort of guys, but you look at Sterling recently, you look at Sandhagen some really entertaining Mm -hmm. fights so why not just take the chance and just say hey Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's pretty funny
0: it is, it is and
1: yeah, really, honestly.
0: I sort of blame the UFC for that. I also, dare I say, and I know a lot of people are quite high on Henry Cejudo now, fantastic career, best looking retirement. How much of this is maybe down to Cejudo actively chasing the money fights instead of going for guys who are as dangerous but less high profile?
1: I feel like that was sort of one man's mission. I don't really think he was sort of... Thinking about the whole division, I think he was just sort of looking for paydays. I think he was thinking of the flyweights when he, he saved that. But after he fought Marlon and he realized that he could touch that, that high gold, I, I don't want to say got, got money hungry, but I, I think he realized that he could chase those type of fights. So that's what he was trying the gun for. And they just didn't want to bite, I guess. Now he's gone. Do you think he'll be back? I think yeah, I definitely think he could co- he could come back. If you have a fighter that goes on a run, like uh, you get that yawn or that Sandhagen that just clears out the division in a year or so, calls out Cejudo, I could see them paying Cejudo like 1.5 million or a million to come back. I could see them doing that for like UFC 290 or 295 or something something like that. I could see them doing that.
0: Very specific number.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of a like a year or so from now, like I don't know, like two yeah. two eighty five or something. Surgo's
0: <laughs> so not gonna be back in the next say twelve months, but I do yeah. definitely see him, if the money's right, coming back. I think I think the UFC have sort of maybe called his bluff a little bit. Because I think mm-hmm. I think Henry was thinking, hey, if I threaten retirement, then I can maybe get myself a few extra pennies. I can maybe uh, try and negotiate. So if I do fight a Piotr on, or maybe a Josie Aldo, they would have done him versus Aldo, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I could see. Would you have seen him retiring there?
0: I think maybe so. I think that because he would have had so much leverage. If you could say, I beat Marlon Marias, TJ Dillashaw. Mighty Mouse, Dominic Cruz, and Aldo in a row. That does look good on paper, even if there's sort of an asterisk next to all five of them. But it, it looks good on paper, and I think that's what Henry would be thinking about.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: We're sort of showing some of the issues that the USC are having. We're all talking about Henry Cejudo when we've got this great bantamweight fight coming up.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. talk
0: about Aljamain Sterling, who... I think has been on absolute fire recently. We'll just get some of his uh, records for you, just up here. Um, Aljamain Sterling, last win, of course, was that victory over Pedro Munoz, U.S.C. 238. Won six of his past seven. His only loss was against Marias, which was a brutal head kick here. But,
1: yeah, I don't want to say that that knockout was like a lucky kick or anything. I just think that was just perfect placement, perfect timing, just perfect all-around technique by uh, Marlon in that fight. Brutal highlight. We all know
0: that Algernon Sterling has always been a fantastic grappler. Former Mm -hmm. Division 3 NCAA wrestler. But the big thing which has stood out for me recently is how much he's improved his striking game. Mm -hmm. His accuracy and his footwork and movement has been very impressive. I think the fight against Pedro Munoz, he looked untouchable in that first round.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah you're seeing a lot of uh, sort of the best type of MMA fighters you can see are sort of those wrestlers that adapt and get those those high powered striking abilities you you can see that's sort of the, the gateway to greatness in MMA and Sterling is definitely he's almost there he's getting close
0: I think the other thing that people have started having success with I've seen this with a lot of champions recently they're realising hey If I don't get hit, I'm never going to be in any danger. So a lot Mm -hmm. of these top champions right now are becoming increasingly elusive.
1: Yeah, really. The last ones I can think of was sort of like maybe Stipe versus overing That's the last time. And maybe Whitaker's fights. That's the last times I can think of when champions really got battered. Like really battered.
0: What about Jermaine's up kick?
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. that's true
0: <laughs> what's your big thing about Aljamain Sterling what do you think has caused this sort of upturn in his performance recently because there wasn't a time when people sort of called him a bit of a flushed bust they just thought mm-hmm. hey this guy does have a lot of promise but now he's, won- now he's lost three fights in a row now he's lost three fights I should say is he really going to be that big breakout star that maybe people thought he was when he entered the UFC and yet he's turned it around. what's been the big change for you?
1: Really, I think it's uh sort of to overcome that loss really it's uh sort of like it never really happened to him it's he's just going on like it never really happened and uh, it's worked in his favor he's got a great mental game he's got a great mental game definitely and he also has a gr-
0: he also has a great submission game as well. well obviously mm. we talk about his wrestling, but I think the way that he can chain submissions together I think mm-hmm. the Cody stamen fight I think is the best example of that, because
1: definitely, I think if
0: you if you want to give people a good example of a, a a high level exciting wrestling match in the UFC, I don't think you can go any any wrong with uh, Sterling versus stamen, and then of course he has that um, Sally Webb stretch to finish it.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, that's a great fight. Great fight.
0: Great fight and a very unconventional fight. I think that's the real thing that excites me about Ultimate Sterling. He maybe doesn't have the power that, say, someone like Marlon Marias has. And that's maybe the reason why the UFC overlook him because he doesn't finish fights all mm-hmm. that often.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not really that um, highlight real machine that you could do. I thought this fight against Pedro, though, that is some good highlights in there. That was great a great fight. fight. Yeah, pretty good fight.
0: That should have been the number one contender match, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. Munoz was coming off the uh, Cody Garban knockout as well.
1: Yeah, I think maybe it was uh, was that his first fight, right after the um, Marlon loss. Maybe that was something to do with it a little bit. Maybe that's why they didn't set that up. But... I
0: think he fought, after the Marlon fight, he fought Brett Johns, got the win there. Okay. And then it was Stamon, then it was Munoz.
1: Oh, shit. Okay, I was way off. All right.
0: I, trust me, I have been way off so many times when it comes to these sort of shows. But the, one that, the one that always sticks in my mind was I once said Tyson Pedro would be a top five light heavyweight. <laughs> that makes you, feel, that makes you feel a bit better, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I was like, I could have seen where you were thinking that, though. And I can see in the timeline where you were thinking that, <laughs> the MMA timeline.
0: I've thankfully been a lot luckier when it came to Corey Sandhagen. This was a guy who I rated quite highly for a long time. I've always said that there's three sleeper fighters that I personally have in the UFC. Um, Cyril Garn, Shane Burgos and Sandhagen. And I'm glad that Corey Sandhagen is getting the opportunity on pay-per-view to show people and say, hey, this guy could be a top fighter in the bantamweight division. Um, his striking has been compared to Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw maybe he doesn't have the movement of those two but I think again very free-flowing knows how to use his reach good use of the jab and his feints against John Lineker especially the way you cannot afford to get in the pocket with John Lineker and Corby did a fantastic job staying on the outside and really frustrating John and I think the other thing as well which I think this is always good when you've got a young fighter coming up is how they handle adversity. And Corey Sandhagen has already done that. If you look at the fight against um, Alcantara, he was in a lot of trouble in that fight early on, but persevered, got through it, and managed to get himself the win. So he's already ticked that box when it comes to being a contender.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I always uh, go to the Austin Arnett fight. Good fight. It's always a good one to bring up. But yeah, he's always he's always been up there, and now it's his time to shine. It's always been that little dark horse, as he said. He's always been in the background there, just building himself up.
0: And again, I think it's we're seeing this a lot when it comes to the UFC, where we sort of touched on this with Sean O'Malley Because he's not a brash talker, because he's not actively trying to sell the fight. the UFC sort of think to yourself, is it really worth us getting invested in this guy? If he's not mm-hmm. making an attempt to try and sell himself, why should we make an attempt to try and sell him?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely see that a, a lot. Uh, it's kind of hard, though, when you get those uh, fighters like that, but they put on an amazing performance, sort of similar to uh, Montefiore versus Barber. Like, that must have been so frustrating for Dana. <laughs> Seeing one of his uh, cash cows get murdered like that. Similar to Ingano versus Stipe at 220, 220. 220? Yeah, 220. 220. And sort of similar to basically whenever his cash gals just get murdered. I see it g- often. I
0: guarantee you the USC will do everything in their power to make sure a doesn't get a title fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Roxanne, her...
0: Roxanne Modiferi could win 10 fights in a row and she'll never fight for that belt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, they're going to give her, like, a nightmare matchup. Like, they're going to try and give her, like, a JDR or something after this fight.
0: (laughs) What would you say is Corey Sandhagen's biggest weakness? We've obviously talked about the positives of him, but no fight is perfect. What's his Achilles heel?
1: Um... trying to think you can give me he can be vulnerable in the pocket sometimes like he can get a hit sometimes in the pocket so that could be a little bit of a weakness for our job but uh yeah I really just his striking defense is mostly what I think of
0: mm. and also we saw late on with the John Lineker fight Lineker got I believe a guillotine very late okay. on and he came very very close to finishing that fight. I think if it went on a few more seconds, oh. Sant would have tapped.
1: Shit, okay, i all have to rewatch that. That was like the 27th of April, like, almost like a year ago, right? I think it was,
0: <laughs> I think it was John Lineker's last uh, UFC fight he got released after.
1: Oh, okay. That was his last fight before he went to one, okay.
0: Which I was good about because him versus Garbrandt would have been one of my dream fights.
1: Yeah, really, that's a... Insane fight. I'm surprised they never really made that. That definitely would have been made Well, I don't know if it would have been because this Garbrand has been out forever now But could have seen them trying to make that if he was still here
0: So what we have here are two Fantastic all-round fighters. They're they're very long very rangey know how to use their reach Uh, Both well-skilled on the ground. I personally favour Sterling on the ground over Sandhagen. I think we've got ourselves a really compelling fight. I just think that Corey Sandhagen does a better job when it comes to putting on the pressure. And I think that's something that Aljo has always struggled with. He's very similar in some ways to sort of a Uriah Hall, where if you do pressure him, he can get a bit flustered. So I think Sandhagen's going to be quite aggressively... And even though the bookies have Aljo's favourite, I'm going to stick to my guns, going to take a chance and say Corey Hagen wins it.
1: Okay. I'm going with your prediction.
0: I'm not sure if it's going to be... If it's going to be a finish, it's going to be by sub. Okay. But I personally favour another decision.
1: Yeah, I'm going to think that's a decision for Saint Hagen as well.
0: And if that happens then we're gonna have ourselves an interesting situation where logic says the winner of this fight should fight the yarn versus Aldo winner. But are they gonna do that when you've got Marlon Moraes in the wings, big knockout artist, Brazilian, which obviously the Brazil market is very important to the UFC. Is this just gonna be another situation where the winner of this fight is going to get overlooked and they potentially could be booked against the Garbrandt Sal winner?
1: Yeah, really, it's just... It's a shame. <laughs> like it's a real shame. That's such a clog jam. <laughs> like it feels like there's a giant log in the road called Jose Aldo that's just stopping all this from just properly flowing along.
0: <laughs> it's called the UFC being too fixated on the bottom dollar. Yeah. And just thinking that they need to use Jose Aldo as a as a way to make a name for a fighter.
1: Yeah, like... <sighs>
0: I mean I don't I don't hate Jose Aldo. I think Aldo's one of the best fighters to ever do it. But he's also a guy who's past his prime. I don't think you can you should keep giving him all these big opportunities because for what he did in the past rather than what he's doing now.
1: Yeah, like really uh, best way I can describe this is it sort of feels like Bellator matchmaking, like if Aldo wasn't Bellator this is what would be happening really. But it just makes no sense really don't like it. Yeah.
0: Speaking of um, losing streaks and getting big opportunities, that brings us on to Cody Garbrandt. He'll be taking on Rafael Assuncao in our co-main event. And again, even the, the fact that this fight is being booked over uh Santiago versus Sterling is maybe a sign of the UFC's intentions, because Cody Garbrandt is still a guy that the UFC, I feel, are real high on.
1: Mm-hmm and obviously yeah.
0: he's had himself 12 months away he lost to pedro munios that came after the two losses to tj dillashaw new training camp a year to try and um get himself together maybe sort out some new game plans and a big opportunity for him this is really last chance to learn for cody if he wants to be a bantamweight contender
1: yeah really uh this fight is pretty much cody's last chance really like if he doesn't if he doesn't get a W in any way, shape, or form, like even just a decision, like this is going to be really bad. Like, <laughs> really bad on his form. Like, where, where could he possibly go?
0: I don't think the USA would ever cut him because he is yeah. so entertaining. And we know that when he puts it all together, like he did against Mizugaki, like he did against Dominic Cruz, which I think is one of the best performances in a title fight of all time, he, mm-hmm. he can be a fantastic fighter. He just needs to get control of his emotions. So I actually do think that this 12-month off that he's had, the move away from Team Alpha Male, has, I think will do him the world of good. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to handle himself against a guy like Aston Sao, who I think is a good test of a fighter's all round skill. And especially he's going to be a good test of how Cordy has handled his composure. Because Asun yeah. frustrates like no other fighter in the Bantamweight division.
1: Yeah, Garbrandt should definitely uh he should try some meditation. Like maybe if he uh I think I know a guy, uh what's his name? Oh yeah. Joshua Fabia, maybe if he uh <laughs> gets in contact with that guy and get some meditation with him, and maybe it could help with his composure. I hey. think Diego's with that guy.
0: Diego Sanchez <laughs> three wins in his past four <laughs>
1: No, but seriously, I think meditation or something like that can help Cody. That would be helpful. If he gets into the right mindset or something like that, like he hires a hypnotist or something, like, I don't know. (laughs) Something like that, it could probably work.
0: The thing is, as well with Cody, if you look at the fights that he's lost, it's not that he's an overly careless, reckless fighter. There's something that happens in those fights that just causes him to lose control. Because if you look at the if you look at the Dillashaw rematch, he starts off very technical. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's throwing a lot more kicks, which I was very surprised by in that second fight. But then I think Dillashaw catches him, and then Cody just thinks to himself, "I'm under fire here. I need to get aggressive," and just tries throwing these big right hooks all the time, and Dillashaw counters every single one of them and drops it. And then when he fought Pedro Munoz which a lot of people thought, same thing same thing started off very well very technical then that headbutt happens Cordy sees red and just thinks I need to finish this fight
1: yeah yeah each time he just starts to get yeah, he just uh immediately just tries to go for the knockout same thing don't want to say same thing as Redoom but it happened with Verdoom as well he tried to go for a knockout with Stipe it's just something that will happen in fighters you know they just try to go for the knockout as quick as they can
0: we do focus on the negatives with cody Garbrandt, but so we're gonna instead turn to the positives which is his po- his pocket striking is off the charts fantastic
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you look at this fight there's no way cody should lose this fight realistically if he's in the right mindset and he if he shows up and he sticks to that game plan that he always starts out with, he always starts out with a solid game plan, but he always flicks that switch in the middle of the fight. If he sticks to that game plan, I could easily see him getting that W, maybe even a knockout against a Sun Tao. I could see it easily happening, really, if he just sticks to that game plan and gets that, that mindset under control.
0: The opponent, he's an amazing fighter. The opponent in question needs to do something to flick that switch. Yeah. And that's where I think Asunzao is going to struggle because he doesn't have that big punch to rock Cody mm-hmm. to make him mm-hmm. see red. I didn't, I, but I didn't think Munoz did either. He was a bit lucky that it was the headbutt which caused it.
1: Yeah, really, but he's. Mostly a counter striker. Like he's not really somebody that goes in there throwing bombs or anything like that. Like you won't really see him exchanging in the pocket quickly. Like <laughs> and it's not really a Sun South style. But it'll be interesting to see. Be interesting.
0: Aside from obviously seeing Red, I think another big issue that maybe comes with Cordy, and we sort of said the same thing with Calvin Cater when we we discussed that on the past preview show. He is a fantastic boxer, obviously he had uh, an amateur boxing background, mm-hmm. but do you think that sometimes being so fixated on the boxing means that he's he struggles with other elements of MMA? Because he doesn't throw kicks as much as what he maybe should be doing. We don't know how good his wrestling is because he's, he's sprawled and brawled so good.
1: Mm-hmm. Like really in that Dominic Cruz fight, he like sprawled every single time, like it was pretty good, like Gatey esque a little bit, like he got out of those sprawls like it was nothing really, so he really has good takedown defense, but we've never really seen him push to the ground, nobody's ever really tried it, it's not really something we've seen.
0: We know that if he puts it all together, like he did against Cruz Fight, you can have yourself a superstar, I honestly genuinely Mm -hmm. thought that he was going to be sort of the Conor McGregor of the Bantamweight division. Because he was unbeaten, he had charisma, he had a spoiler about him. American. Uh, quite a <laughs> handsome dude as well. And we sort of mentioned that with the female fighters, but I think for the male fighters as well. Like Rockhold with all his media commitments. So I think all the parts of the recipe were in place for him to be this success. But then of course the two Dillashaw fights happened. And then what should have been an easy win for him against Munoz. That fight, fight as well. And now he's
1: back to ninth in the division. Well, yeah, like you look at back at the cruise fight, like that was a fairy tale ending when he brought in that uh, that boy with cancer and he won the bell for him and everything. He walked out with him and everything. That's a fairy tale ending. Any screenwriter can write something like that. You ever seen a uh, warrior with a uh, who's in that uh, Tom film. Hardy? Good film. They can't write something like that. Like <laughs> like really is uh better than that in my opinion, but Warriors a good movie in terms of movies, but yeah, really uh Garbrandt's got to get that form back. He's still he's still got time really in my opinion, but this is uh this is his last chance.
0: What about the school teacher training with Baz Boot and becoming a uh, UFC fighter?
1: Who's that? Rich Franklin?
0: It's uh Kevin James. Here comes the boom.
1: Oh <laughs> oh yeah, that's true Okay, never seen that movie i always seen previews and like uh, Like trailers for it But I've never seen it, I should watch that
0: and Tell you what, for a guy who's not an actor Baz is actually very good in that film
1: Oh yeah, I've seen him in like Pretty good sketches It was like, uh, you know, it, what was that? Uh, International Fight League Or whatever, do you know what that is?
0: I'm wanting to do a video about it actually
1: what was that like then I've seen clips of that and it looks like uh MMA's got talent or something. like it looks like they're on like uh, America's got talent or something show just with MMA it's so weird so strange <laughs> but yeah he does good sketches and good skits he's funny
0: we'll need to talk about Cordy's opponent or Rafael Asuncao we've got a guy who mm-hmm. this guy has been around the block for a long long time you can see that in the amount of fights that he's had uh, 27 and seven record. He was fighting back in the WEC.
1: Oh yeah, and wasn't Definitely really better.
0: wasn't really held in sort. Of, dare I say, the highest regard for a long time. And then he just piled this massive winning streak. We're talking eight, nine fights in a row. Mm-hmm. Gets himself to number three in the world. Obviously, Dillashaw beats him at UFC 200, and now he's sort of been stuck in that sort of gatekeeper position.
1: Yeah, he's sorta of been stuck in the mud, like he hasn't really been getting that huge win that could really excel him into, you know, the Sandhagens, the yawns, like stuff like that. Even though he did fight Sandhagen, but I mean there was the Marias fight, which was yeah.
0: sorta of yeah. sold as a number one contender match. It did main event a card in Brazil, so I think there were maybe it was more of a showcase for Moraes, but if Asensio had won that fight you could have argued it could have been him fighting Cejudo for the bantamweight title.
1: But instead it turned out to be Asun sao's first finish loss, right? Mm-hmm. was not that the first time he got finished, so yeah. Didn't definitely work by out
0: strikes, though. definitely by strikes.
1: Yeah, I think I remember th- No, it, was, them it, it wasn't a strike,
0: that. it was a submission.
1: Okay, there we go.
0: What would you say are um, Asun Sao's biggest strengths?
1: Um. I don't really know, I haven't really watched many of his fights, but I know uh, he's good on the ground, like he's no scrub on the ground, but it, he's mostly a, a like, mostly a traditional striker, you know like he's not really a, like an overhand power puncher, like he's sort of basic really, but he's he, it works, like it works against the general competition, but he can't really break through with it
0: The best way, the best term I've used I've seen used to describe Asun Sao is attritional. Everything, yeah, and, everything okay. he does in terms of his striking, his grappling, his submissions, are all about wearing you down. So maybe he doesn't finish fights as much as, say, a Cody Garbrandt would, but he's always going to get the decision come the end because he knows how to slow a fight down to his pace and get the best out of himself. And that can frustrate a lot of fighters. And I think it's going to be a real test of Cody's composure because if Cody isn't finding success early and Asun Sao is able to counter and then use his distance game like he did against Rob Font, Cody could very easily get frustrated and start winging the wild punches again. And if that happens, we know how good Asun Sao is at Mm -hmm. Mm counter-striking.
1: Yeah, really, this could be a dream matchup for Cody or... Nightmare matchup, really. he goes in there with the wrong mindset.
0: And I think that's that's what the UFC are trying to test.
1: Mm -hmm. Trying to test and see where he is right now.
0: I think had this fight happened, say, four or five years ago, I would have called this a stylistic nightmare for Cody Garbrandt. But, But Asun Sao is 37 years old in a division which is defined by speed. And I question whether or not he's going to be able to keep up with Cody, who we know is going to be aggressive.
1: Okay, I see your point.
0: So, even though I could see a Aston style win because of that style set, I think Cody's going to get him in the first round. This is going to be Cody's comeback party.
1: Okay, okay, yeah. We'll have to see. I'm with you on that though. I'm going with Cody on this.
0: Garbrand in the first round.
1: Yeah, I got Garbrand in the first round. Putting my bet on that.
0: I wonder if this fight will be going out the first round or not, because it is now time for us to talk about our main event of the evening. The women's featherweight title is getting a rare outing. Amanda Nunes is taking on Felicia Spencer for the belt. And I think the first place we need to start is whether or not this fight is worthy of headlining a pay per view, because we did discuss earlier on in the show that the UFC might have some contractual reasons for why they're putting on events. But I think when you look at a lot of the sort of enthusiasm for the show on- online, they're not really as excited for this one as they would be, obviously, for uh, a Tony versus, say, uh, Justin Gagey or even an Adesanya versus Romero. I think fan mm. interest for this one is, is purely for the hardcores because you've, got a, you've sort of got this perfect storm I feel of, you've got a championship belt that most people see as a little bit of a joke. I mean, the women's featherweight division is two women. You've got a challenger who's pretty much unknown and a champion who for all of her wins, for all of her achievements has never really appealed to the casual fans.
1: Yeah, it's funny really. They built this whole division for one person and now she's gone. (laughs) So now it's just there really except for, you know, they got it from Megan Anderson and Spencer and that's really it.
0: And I'm actually going to bring that up a little bit later on in the show. I I do question the women's featherweight's future depending on this fight result. If If you were in Dana White's shoes would you have gone ahead with this as a pay-per-view main event?
1: Well, yeah, because you're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I set this up.
0: So we're going to be talking about, obviously, the two girls in detail. We'll start off with the champion, Amanda Nunes. Uh, we've got a 19-4 and 4 record. Um, obviously, it's her first fight since her victory over Jermaine Durandamy at UFC 245. I've been interested with a lot of the sort of promotion about Nunes going into this fight because I wouldn't necessarily say her stocks lower after the Jermaine fight but I don't think her fan base is as vocal as they were before that match. I think when you had people like Joe Rogan saying oh there's no argument she's the greatest female fighter of all time nobody can beat her and then in the Jermaine fight where she did show a lot of vulnerability she did get rocked she nearly got submitted I think a lot of people in the media just sort of said, we need to pump the brakes a bit. but We are just starting to get a bit too carried away and it nearly backfired on us.
1: Yeah, like I remember, uh, she was uh, getting, I don't want to say pieced apart, but um, some of the striking, I like, could see she was getting frustrated with Jermaine's striking in her last fight. So I'm surprised people weren't really talking about it, really, that uh, Jermaine was kind of... Uh, putting it together on the feet but just take down defense and a wrestling just wasn't there at all for that type of championship so yeah this could be I think it a was nightmare fu- matchup i
0: think it was very telling for i think it was very telling i think it was a good indication of Jermaine's skill set mm-hmm. that she forced Nets to grapple
1: yeah that was when um who was that, Clarissa Shields, she showed up there was like a massive hype around I don't want to say massive, but there was definitely talks going on between Nunes and uh, Shields, like why else would she show up for that, like no other really female boxer would show up for that other than maybe Halle Berry that's not really a female (laughs) boxer, but yeah, so there was definitely some hype around that fight, but then after that fight, it just sort of just died. Like, nobody really wanted to see that because after that fight, Nunez said, oh, if she wants to fight, I'll immediately take it to the ground. I'm not going to a boxing match. Mm-hmm. She can come to me. So, yeah. It, and I think the other
0: just... thing I think the other thing that hasn't helped either is the women so far in 2020 have been making a lot of big statements. I mean, we've had Juana mm-hmm. versus uh Shevchenko had a dominant defense. Chris got the fourth belt in Bellator. And that sort of means that Nunez is Maybe sort of been lost in the shovel. Now, if she gets the win, which I think a lot of people expected to, that's all mm-hmm. going to change. But I think there's there's sort of bigger fish which are drowning her out as it were.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. Like uh, I feel like all the attention sort of now is. I don't want to say it's completely on Wei Lee, but I feel like a lot of it is on Shevchenko, considering uh, what happened, considering like where they are now since the last time they fought. Like in their, their last fight. I feel like Shevchenko probably has a bit more stock than Nunes. Would you agree?
0: I think Shevchenko's always going to be hindered by having a weaker division.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's it, true, you could say that.
0: I mean, I, I don't really put as much weight into it as what other people do, but it doesn't look as good to the everyday fan when you've got Shevchenko mm-hmm. beating, say, a Jessica Rai or a Liz Carmouge over say Jermaine Donovan
1: and, and Holly Hall who are bigger names That's true but when you look at um the performances that she's yes. putting in they've yeah. all been incredible they've definitely been definitely casual friendly she's definitely uh that Jessica eye knockout for sure casual friendly right there so yeah definitely think she's a bit more friendly towards her fans I feel like she has a bit more outreach in terms of that, but I do see what you mean about the division. Definitely.
0: We'll we'll talk about the champion, and obviously the first thing that stands out when it comes to Nunez is some of the most ridiculous power I have ever seen from a female fighter.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: I mean, we always talk about these sort of like mythical round one fighters, and she's probably up there.
1: Yeah, first round Nunez, best way I could describe her is sort of go and watch the cyborg fight. It looks very similar to Liddell, just with a lot more head movement, like a lot more head movement. But the striking, and the way that she throws her hands, very similar to sort of female Liddell a little bit.
0: Well, Chuck was a fantastic counter striker as well, which I think Nunez is a bit more front foot than Chuck Chuck was. Okay. But that's just personally my opinion, and I think that's a great thing about mixed martial arts, that a lot of people do have different opinions. I think we do talk about the power, and I think... But I wouldn't say she's just an outright wild overhand type of fighter. I think she has a deceptively long jab. I think her leg kicks...
1: Mm.
0: She has very powerful leg kicks as well. And we saw that against Raquel Pennington, mm-hmm. and you could argue that what led to Chris's downfall was she buckled Chris with the kick... And Chris, dare I say, has pulled a bit of a Cody Garbrandt and just thought, I need to get this done. I need to get get her out of here as quickly Mm -hmm. as I could. Um, But with that power comes some concerns when it comes to Cardio, and this has always been the big issue when it comes to Nunez, which is yes, she is fantastic in that first round, but what happens if you get her out of there? And we saw that against Jermaine Durandamy. Jermaine managed to survive that first round and then from rounds two to five, it was a completely different fight.
1: Yeah, like you look at the the Pennington fight, that went that went to the fifth round, but uh, Pennington was sort of like a punching yeah. bag near the well, end Rocky of that. Well, like, Rocky was
0: on one leg for most of that fight. Yeah,
1: yeah. like she wasn't really uh, putting up really much of a fight for that. So, But you're right, if you get somebody like a Jermaine with proper uh, all-around skill set, sort of don't want to say a. Kamar Usman but like somebody with that all around skill set that can get that takedown and can stuff those takedowns and can control on the ground with the clinch and all that. It could be a problem.
0: Could. I've always been curious to see how Irini Aldana could do because I think Avini yeah. Aldana yeah. knows how to use that reach. If she has the durability to get through round one I think that could be an interesting fight
1: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think another
0: thing which is Sort of a a concern when it comes to Nunez, and I I always do bring this up as well because I think there are a lot of people who are sort of painting this idea of Nunez being invincible, which I don't think any fighter is. Um, I think every fighter has weaknesses. Is how is she going to handle 145? Because we talk about cardio, but surely adding 10 extra pounds of muscle to somebody who is maybe doesn't have the best gas tank is. A bit risky in my opinion. I mean, you look at her in the sidewalk fight, you look at her arms and her shoulders, she looked absolutely massive. She looked like Latifi, yeah. just carrying so much muscle. <laughs> and you do wonder, if she, if she doesn't get this done in the first round, what sort of effects is that going to have?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could see her maybe fade a little bit. We'll have to see. Especially, she does
0: and especially if she's forced to wrestle. Because you mm-hmm. watching that Jermaine fight, you look at, her at the end of that fifth round, she looked knackered.
1: Yeah, and Jermaine wasn't really putting up much of a fight oh. in the ground game, like at all. And Felicia definitely will. It's not like she's going to be a slouch down there, not at all.
0: Nunes can't afford to be complacent in this fight, because if she does, that could be... But we saw that with Jermaine with the up kicks. She got a little bit careless with the grappling side of things, and it very nearly cost her.
1: Do you think that she's going to force uh, stand-ups and force uh, striking? Do you think she's going to avoid the ground as much as possible? Yes. Like we're going to see sort of a Woodley-Maya approach?
0: Yes, we're going to see a reverse of what she did against Jemaine. Okay. Uh, her aim with the Jemaine fight was to get to the ground at all costs. The aim mm-hmm. for this one is to stay off the ground.
1: Okay. Well, will have to see.
0: We will do. And I just want to use this opportunity as well to sort of clear up some sort of issues I've had from people because I've got I've a lot of feedback over some of the criticisms I've had of Nunez and I admit I'm not, I'm not necessarily a biggest fan, but I think maybe people, but if you notice my issues with Nunez are never to do with her as a person or her as a fighter, they're always to do with the business side of the sport because that's my background. That's what I studied at university so I'm maybe going to focus on that a bit more than what other people do. The issue for me is people forget how big the women's bantamweight division was say four or five years ago. I think mm-hmm. the fact that you had a million buys to watch women headlining a pay-per-view in front of 60,000 people in Australia.
1: I think, that's,
0: I think that's amazing and yet Nunes becomes champion and that division loses what 90% of it's fund base in less than 2
1: years yeah it's quite strange like you have the biggest i don't know well, not the biggest upset but the biggest upset to a return i guess and then it just fizzled out really that's when uh, after uh, that was like two hundred seven. after that up until like 214 it was that was a horrible time period for the ufc like that's a really rough time period there was like nothing really happening that that time period that's a the next one after that was 208 great card
0: <laughs> that was a that was a rough card honestly the best thing about that card was uh, Anderson Silver's never-ending winner speech
1: yeah <laughs> Man, that was so funny
0: my point is though is is when you look at it from a business perspective if you've got I mean mm-hmm. you can be the best champion in the world but if The average Joe on the street isn't wanting to watch you fight. It doesn't do the UFC any good. It doesn't do the champion any good. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it helps the division either because if they're not invested in the champion, they're not going to be invested in the person the champion could be facing next. Mm -hmm. And I had the same concerns with Aldo and Mighty Mouse when they were champions. And I think those are the two of the best to ever do it. But it's a concern. And I think there was a lot of people from... The Jemaine preview, who maybe interpreted some of the things in the wrong way, so I just wanted to put a line in the sand over that and obviously we can move on and continue talking about this fight. Because if you look at the four people who've beaten Nunes in her career, Ana India Maria, Sarah Delelio, Alexis Davis and Kat Singano, four very similar type of fighters. (coughs) Durable grapplers who took the fight to the ground, survived round one and took control once the cardio issue started. On paper, Felicia Spencer has those qualities.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like an upgraded version of all those fighters. Definitely. Definitely better than Delelio and Davis. But uh, Zagano, it's pretty sad to see what happened to her when she came back. She never really gained that seam. I think she's... Isn't she a free agent now? Is she uh, she's she up at the top oh shit okay i didn't know that
0: i wouldn't be surprised if to do cyborg versus zingano
1: yeah honestly (laughs) because i
0: would use that with a lot of leverage
1: yeah i beat the girl who
0: beat your girl (laughs) what's interesting with felicia as well is we've got an eight and one record here um obviously former invictor champion two wins in the ufc both by first round submission yet the fight that a lot of people are using as leverage to say Felicia Spencer has a chance is the fight she lost which was the Chris Cyborg fight and a lot of and a lot of that stems from how much damage she took in that fight and still kept coming forward
1: yeah really like that fight um cyborg like really just couldn't put her away in that fight like Spencer just walked forward and just took all of it really that's that's what's going to be a telling point for this fight, really. She's got a great chin,
0: and I don't think, I don't think it was. I think there was only ever one time in that fight where I, I felt she was genuinely hurt. That was a, like mm-hmm. near the third round, I think. Cyborg caught her with a knee coming up, and Felicia did go on the back foot a bit. But apart from that, I don't think it seemed to faze her. And I think as that's well, cool. a, a good thing from Felicia's perspective as well. Even though she maybe does does carry a bit more timber than what a normal person would. She's She's got good cardio. We saw that in Invicta when she fought Pam Sorensen. That fight went into the fourth and fifth rounds before she got the sub. So she can make a 25 minute distance.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, she's got great cardio.
0: Yeah, and she also has great submission skills as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. that Megan Anderson fight. Great fight.
0: I think a lot of people Overlooked Felicia for that fight. And I was saying mm-hmm. to her, we don't know how good Megan is on the ground. I think if Felicia Spencer was able to get this fight to the ground, she has a very good chance of winning this one. Because I think megan is, Megan's is megan got fantastic striking, and I think she started to improve her takedown defense, especially based on what we saw in her last two fights. But she looked very amateur in that one. And I think it's a credit to Felicia that she was able to do that. Mm -hmm. But there's a big difference between Megan Anderson's takedown defense and Nunez's. And my worry Mm -hmm. from Felicia's perspective is she almost sort of falls into the women's MMA trap. She's not a very technical takedown artist. Because what Kat did so well against Nunez, if you watch that fight, she was working the body in the clinch, she was throwing knees, and utilizing these really technical judo trips and judo throws. Felicia doesn't really have that. She sort of just pushes people against the fence and just tries to brute them down. And I don't really feel you can Mm -hmm. do that at this sort of level.
1: Yeah, like you look at um, Anderson compared to Nunez, like Anderson, tall, lanky Mm -hmm. fighter, like not really built the same at all compared to Nunez. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a different fight.
0: That being said, though, we have seen Nunez taken down, even in the second... Stage of her career, Shevchenko, who's tiny at 135, she mm-hmm. got it down, and even Raquel Pennington, who was on one leg, got it down in the second round.
1: Yeah, it is yeah.
0: doable, but it's going to be very hard for Felicia, especially when I saw, I saw the fight against Zara Fein. That was that was uploaded onto YouTube a couple of days ago. Some of the takedown entries just seemed a little bit amateur for me. And you could even argue that Zava Fern was winning the stand-up, and I don't think okay. that, I don't think Zava is anywhere near UFC level. Yeah, and yet she was causing <clears throat> Felicia problems on the feet.
1: Yeah, and it is at the apex, so that is a smaller octagon, so it could favor her a little bit. Like Nunez won't be able to run nearly as much, so we'll have to see.
0: But it could also give Nunez the opportunity to swarm her,
1: which mm-hmm. we know that she yeah. can do. Yeah.
0: I, I hope could that Felicia has made these improvements in her in her striking and especially in her takedowns. My one fear I have is she'll have seen all the praise she got for the cyborg fight and just think I can be a Homer Simpson. I do I can just take <laughs> I can just take all these shots and eventually she's gonna get tired.
1: Yeah, that could definitely not be good for Nunez or for spencer because nunez is striking like it can be very accurate like right on the button and stuff so it could definitely be one of those flash knockouts if you're not careful
0: and that's the i don't, I don't see nunez one-shotting it
1: okay but i think she does gonna... have that she does have that power though like oh, it's number, has, it's the same has... as like it's not the same as Cyborg like Cyborg is more of like a swarming yes. like she'll beat you down type of knockout like it's not really a one punch knockout type of style but Nunez is a bit more focused on that. That's what I'm trying to say
0: yes especially when with Felicia she sometimes leads with the elbows as well which I think is mm-hmm. so risky
1: mm. I, I yeah. don't
0: like seeing that at top level MMA because I think It just opens yourself up to so many problems. We do joke about the Homer Simpson strategy, but I dare I say it, I think that's Felicia's best way to win this fight.
1: Yeah, if it works out, I could definitely see it panning out for her.
0: I'd be interested to see what happens to the women's women's featherweight division, I should say, if Felicia was to get this done. Because the way the featherweight division is right now is... It's essentially a vanity belt for Nunes. It's just something for her to carry around and for the UFC to say, look how great she is. But the division itself just goes into hibernation until they decide, say, two or three years down the line, Megan Anderson's ready for the fight. We don't know if Megan ever will be, to be honest. If Alicia was to win that fight, her sole focus is going to be on defending that belt. So the UFC are going to have themselves a choice, they're either going to have to sign girls for the division or scrap the whole thing. Scrap the whole thing and try and convince Felicia to move down the 135.
1: Okay, well I'm thinking if Nunez wins by like quick knockout, I'm thinking they immediately scrap it. I think it's going to be like dead overnight, we'll never hear about it again.
0: <laughs> it was a mistake in the UFC to put the division together.
1: Yeah really, it was put together so quickly. It was quite strange, like I've never seen that before, like they put a division together so quickly after Cyborg was so vocal about it when she joined the UFC, it's like they did it specifically for her, it was really strange, like <laughs>
0: I've never seen the UFC bend like that. But I didn't think it was 100% needed either. I mean you could have yeah, very, you could very easily have done um, sort of feature bouts against Chris mm-hmm. time and again, Okay. You didn't need to give her a belt, but that's just what I personally think. In terms of this fight, we're going to have to have a self-addiction. Personally I think it would be such a good, feel-good story if Felicia won this fight. To be this sort of 6 to 1 underdog who is sort of a bit of an every girl, she comes across really nice as well, seems very pleasant when you speak to her on social media. So, my heart would like Felicia to win this fight from that perspective. My gut in my head says Nunez gets it done in the first two rounds.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go with the upset. I'm gonna say Spencer by decision. locking it in.
0: What I hope to see, and I say this from a fight perspective, I hope it goes past two rounds. Because if it does... We could have ourselves a very different fight and I would mm-hmm. be interested to see if Nunez's cardio holds up at 145 whether Felicia does start finding some success with the grappling the longer okay. this fight goes the more chance Felicia Spencer wins it's just I don't mm-hmm. see her getting into the later rounds
1: gotcha I know what you're saying it makes complete sense and I'm with you honestly Felicia Spencer by decision if not Quickly knock out in round one or two by Nunez.
0: Is a lot of this patriotism the one to get the Canadian fighter to um, get the win?
1: <laughs> no, I just think it's a perfect situation. I'm always thinking about the perfect situations in MMA. Normally, they seem to work out. <laughs> the G one worked out perfectly, and so I will... did it. Usman versus Covington. So. And it
0: will see as well, mind you. We've done five of these polls on the YouTube page uh, since the lockdown, uh, since we came out of the lockdown, for all of the title fights and main events. And at the moment, we are zero for five. <laughs> so really? the Patreon, so our YouTube followers haven't got any predictions right. And at the moment, just looking at the poll right now, I posted this earlier on this morning, uh, Amanda is favoured 89%. Eleven for Felicia Spencer. Oh
1: my! Oh no, dude! <laughs> I'm gonna call it right. Two pay per views in a row. It oh would goodness.
0: be it would be very interesting if Felicia Spencer was to win this fight.
1: Mhm. It's a perfect timing.
0: And on that bombshell, it is time for us to end the show. We have managed to talk for the, what one hour and forty-four minutes about UFC 250.
1: Yeah, that's true. Feels like it's been two minutes. Yeah.
0: What the hell are we doing with our lives? <laughs>
1: it's alright, I like talking about it.
0: We certainly do, and we'll be talking about obviously USC 251 when we get back to that one. Uh, that'll be happening next month. Uh, we'll also be talking about Bellator in a lot more detail. Claire, you've been the brains behind this one. Explain to our viewers what they could be expecting.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm going to bring a uh, Bellator and Strikeforce encyclopedia onto the show. His name is Teep to the Junk. He's a Bellator diehard. Pretty radical, but he loves to talk. And he knows literally everything about all of Coker's promotions. So hopefully we get some perfect questions ready for him. And I know we could talk to this guy for hours. And he's always game to talk, so... Literally every time I asked so he said that hey, you he could come on. But we always have a UFC focused like episode, so we never try and get him on that, so <laughs> we'll try and have a regular podcast episode for him.
0: And yeah. that one's gonna be exclusively on our podcast channel, so please stay tuned to our Twitter page, especially for that one. We'll also have the updates on the YouTube page as well. Um, I personally will also have a brand new video which I hope to get uploaded. Uh, For Wednesday next week Um, It's one which I'm personally looking forward to a bit of a a semi sequel to one of my more popular videos on the channel So I'll let you think about that one and I hope that you also enjoy UFC 250. That's going to be happening next Saturday Um, My name has been Carl Brainbridge. Somewhere on planet Earth is Claire Richardson
1: Pleasure to be here. can't wait to be back when we can talk about Spencer winning the belt
0: a proud Canadian there obviously deluded
1: <laughs> Man, you never know, you, never you know. You never
0: know, and that's the great thing about this sport. So, thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope to see you again next month. Bye bye for now.